You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Good evening and welcome to our ninth installment in Genesis Unveiled on the weekly Parsha. And this week's Parsha is Vayeshev. Vayeshev means to sit. And the rabbis say that Jacob already had a hard life. He had conflict with his brother and getting the proper role in the family. He dealt with his uncle working 14 years for his wives. Uh, His daughter was raped. He went through a lot and said he just wanted to rest. He just wanted to, as we say today, retire daiquiris by the pool. But uh, for for the righteous, we're told, there's no resting in this world. And so Jacob is going to go through a whole new chapter of his life, which will bring about its terrible, terrible challenges. And with this week, we bring in a three-part chronicle of the story of Joseph and his brothers. It'll be a story of jealousy, of family conflict, of Joseph going from the depth of a pit to the top of the world as viceroy of Egypt, Joseph the boy wonder, and the righteous boy wonder. And it will then be Joseph orchestrating a scenario, uh, giving the brother, his brothers, the opportunity to redeem themselves, and then with their reuniting. Sorry about the spoiler. So we're introduced to Yosef and how he grows up in the family. And it says Yisrael, Jacob's new name, loved Joseph more than other, his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And we'll see in a minute what that means. The rabbis say that from this story, we see that a parent should never favor one child over another. And that because of this coat of many colors, the Jewish people were brought down to Egypt. And Rabbi Shemshin Rafal Hirsch accentuates this, that favoritism uh, for a child leads is wrong, and it leads to a lot of problems within the family. On the other hand, uh, the rabbis tell us that the child of his old age, Zikunim, is the wisdom of old age, that Jacob recognized special gifts in Joseph and saw him as a recipient of the wisdom traditions received from Abraham, the monotheistic teachings. He was teaching him Torah. And the Zohar from there says that Jacob was correct in favoring Joseph and giving him this special role. And it says, the book of Jewish mysticism, similarly, God has given the Jewish people a special role to fulfill, and the nations are resentful and hate us because of it. But that's the role that we're meant to fulfill. This is the role Joseph was meant to fulfill, and each person should realize they have their own place and their own path and their own role. So it also says that um, the brothers hated him so much that they couldn't even talk to him. They wouldn't even give him the time of day. Now, Joseph had a role in this as well. Uh, the Torah tells us he was Na'ar. He was a young, acted young, uh, perhaps acting immaturely, teaching the rabbis that he primped himself. He was a little uh, self-absorbed. And we'll see later uh, that when he tells his brothers the dreams, he doesn't, he, he's not sensitive to them. He doesn't even see how they would take this. So it also says that he brought, brought bad reports of his brothers to the father. He tunnel on them. 
Now, this is an interesting question because generally, you know, a snitch is bad. But in the Torah, it's not so clear. There's a mitzvah to either tell someone they're doing something wrong or if they are to try and set them on the right path. So to set them on the right path in this case would be to tell the father, hey, you know, there's problems with our siblings. And um, there are different takes on what that is. According to some, just uh, that uh, the, uh, they weren't treating him correctly. According to others, the brothers were doing much worse things. But uh, here we come to the dreams. Joseph, the dreamer. And the dreams uh, are that he sees his sheaf and the brothers, 11 sheaves, bowing down to his sheaf. Now, it's enough that he dreamed it, but that he told them, and it says they hated him even more. And it's interesting, uh, did, did he not realize what it would evoke in the brothers? And then he told them another dream, and this time to their father. And this one is that the sun and the moon, the 11 stars, are bowing down to his star. And it says, now the brothers became jealous. And uh, why jealousy? So this is very interesting. Why did it change from hatred to jealousy? Jealousy is when you want what another person has. So could it be that the brothers were worrying? Maybe Joseph was getting divine message. They knew Joseph was a Torah scholar. He did have a special spiritual place. And it says their father guarded the manor. He kept it into account. In other words, Jacob demurred. He, he was waiting to see, would this in fact unfold as Joseph has said? He didn't discount it. He didn't tell him off. He just waited to see. So it all comes to a head when the brothers are away shepherding and Jacob sends Joseph off to his brothers. He says, go see how your brothers are. Go see how the flocks are. Now, once again, didn't he already realize that there was tension because Joseph was telling on the brothers that he should send Joseph? The brothers will feel like, oh, dad's checking up on us through Joseph. And then... Um, even just the idea that Joseph would be alone with them. Uh, did he not realize the extent of the hatred uh, that he had? And it's interesting that for third generation now, Isaac didn't really realize who Esau was. Uh, Abraham didn't realize the problems with, with Ishmael. And so often it was the mothers who had the insight. But here, um, uh, Rachel had passed away. And it's not clear that the mothers played such an active role, uh, maybe because there were numerous wives. So, uh, so he went to Shechem. That's where they were. And the rabbis say Shechem already, we know, is a place of ill portent. Not good things come out of there. Already foreshadowing, foreboding. And he left from Emek HaChevron, the Valley of Hebron, which is where Abraham lived. And the rabbis say that the Valley of Hebron is a hint to the prophecy Abraham had that the children, that his descendants would be uh, become slaves. And so in a sense, it's a hinting that this series of events, this mission is going to wind up being the catalyst to the unfolding of Abraham's prophecy and of the Jewish people in Egypt. So he gets to Shechem and they're not there. So what does he do? 
all of a sudden he's he's walking along and there's a man. And the man says, are you looking for something? So he looked lost. He says, I am seeking my brothers. And here we see that perhaps deep down, Yosef did want to be accepted by them. Yosef wanted to be a part of them. He wanted to be one of them. And uh, maybe hoping without Jacob around, maybe things would be different. And he says, oh, I heard a rumor that they'd gone to this place called Dotan. And the rabbis tell us, was this just a happenstance? The Torah does not see life through happenstance. This person was sent to direct Joseph to, to make sure he found his brothers. Once again, seeing the divine role in the unfolding of all of these events, which will lead to some tragedy and also lead to some good things. But they were meant to happen. And the rabbis say, this man... Uh, could have been an angel from God to make sure that Joseph and his brothers uh, found each other. But when they found him, what happened? So the brothers see Joseph in the distance. Ah, here comes the dreamer. We'll see what happens with his dreams, they say. And so they were going to say, said, let's dispose of him. Let's be done with him once and for all. And Reuven, the oldest, intervened. He said, no, we can't actively kill him. Throw him into a pit, implying so he'll die passively. And But Reuven wanted to come back later and save him. And here we have an interesting question. Why didn't Reuven stand up to his brothers and say, you can't do this? Could it be? And later we'll see, Yehuda does intervene, but not enough. Could it be that they were intimidated? Because ultimately... It wasn't the sons of the secondary wives. And even Yisachar's villain, it was who? Shimon and Levi, who were the sons left, who would have plotted this. The dynamic duo, the hotheads who wiped out Shechem. And it seems like uh, no one, none of the brothers could really take them on. So they threw him into a pit. They saw a caravan passing. And here Yehuda stepped in, the other leadership figure amongst the brothers, the future king. And he says, what profit will be that what profit is there for us to uh, to take him and to throw him into a pit? Uh, we can sell him. So they take him and they uh, bring him off. And he also says, we cannot actively kill our brothers. So interestingly, that first they resort to the he resorts to the practical argument, and then he gives the ethical spiritual argument. So um, so they sell him off to these, uh, to this caravan and Ruvain returns. He is devastated that Joseph has gone. He knows the impact this is going to have on Jacob. So they dipped. And remember, Joseph is also the favorite son of the favorite wife. A lot of family dynamics going on here. So they dipped his coat in blood. And they said to Jacob, is this his coat? And you can just imagine how they must have been feeling doing this to their father. And it says he was in mourning and he could not be consoled. He was broken. So the, the larger looming question is, how could the brothers have consorted to kill Joseph? Now, we have to look at it in the context of the larger context of the family history. Uh, therapists will do a family genome. It's like a family tree, but 
looking at the dynamics within a family. And if you do that here, you see that there was a precedent of a bad apple having to be driven out of the family for two generations, right? Uh, Sarah had to make sure that Yishmael would not be a bad influence on Isaac. And Rebecca deceived her husband to make sure Esau was pushed out of the family. So here again, they perhaps they thought, here is one of the brothers turned bad, manipulating our father, uh, the way Esau manipulated Yitzhak, and having grand dreams of being a younger brother who's going to rule over us. And this is the main point. The rabbis formulate this as treason. They formulate it as Joseph overthrowing the family hierarchy, even though it had been done for two generations before, the younger over the older. But from the brother's point of view, this was treason. And in most uh, societies, treason is liable capital punishment. They convened a court and the, issue, the ruling was handed down. And now, uh, from Joseph's perspective, uh, he must have felt like, well, I'm the one worthy to carry on the family tradition. But that's not how the brothers saw it. How do we understand the way the Torah frames it as jealousy and hatred? Perhaps their feelings influenced their ruling. And we're going to see later that maybe from their point of view, they did have a valid argument. But did they have to take the extreme measure? Couldn't they, like their father, just have guarded? He's one brother against 11. He's the younger, second to youngest brother. Was he such a threat? We will return to that question. Okay. So Joseph is sold down to Egypt. Now we have a whole sidebar that occurs of this story. It said, Yehuda went down from his brothers. Now that means he left them. He, he went on. But really, Hurad, he went down, he had a spiritual yirida, a spiritual falling out. And what we see is that after this incident, the family starts to fall apart. The family starts to dissipate. And said Judah went and married the daughter of a Canaanite man. And the rabbis have a debate, according to most opinions, Canaanite doesn't actually mean a Canaanite, because we know Abraham and Isaac were insistent that their sons not marry Canaanites. But uh, he was a local tradesman. He wasn't from the family. And he, they have a child. They have three sons. And the son heir marries a woman, Tamar. So this is Judah's son-in-law, uh, daughter-in-law, Tamar. And it says, heir was evil in the eyes of God, and God kills him, and he dies. So we see the family's in turmoil. They're not following in the right path. So Judah has her marry his second son, Onan. Now here we have to explore an interesting uh, custom brought down in the Torah, Halacha, that if a man passes away and the couple had no children, the wife marries the brother of this man. Why? It says to carry on the family name in Israel. This is called Yibum. In English, it's called Leverite marriage. So this is what's going to happen. The brother's supposed to marry. So it says Onan, he also was bad in the eyes of God. What did he do? He did what's called onanism. He felt that uh, the child would not really be his. It would be the line of his brother. So he spilled seed before uh, impregnating his wife. 
Uh, it's sometimes used as a form of birth control, not a very good one, but um, this was bad in the eyes of God, and he died as well. And so the third brother, Shela, Yehuda, tries to uh, uh, avoid having Tamar marry him. He was afraid uh, something bad might happen to him as well. So he deflects, and he tells her, oh, let's wait till he grows up and gets a little older. So she goes back to her father's house. Now, Judah's wife dies. And three months later, it says, he goes out to tend the sheep. And he's at a crossroads, and he sees there sitting a harlot. And that harlot, uh, he approaches her. And he says, uh, they have a negotiation. He doesn't have any money on her. And she says, well, what are you going to give me as a guarantee? So he gives her his staff and his seal, his ring seal, thinking he'll come back later and give her money. She had a veil on her face. He doesn't see that, in fact, who is this? This is none other than Tamar, his daughter-in-law. And it seems like she was fulfilling the mitzvah of Yibum. It goes to the next closest relative. If the son isn't going to do it, then it's done by another relative, who in this case is the father-in-law. Now, normally in the Torah, a brother-in-law or father-in-law are forbidden to a person. But after the husband would pass away, it's permitted. So, um, so they have their encounter. Uh, Judah moves on. He tries to send the payment to get his uh, deposit back. And she's gone. No one can find her. No one even, even knows of her. Three months later, Tamar becomes pregnant. And she was supposed to be married to, to his third son. It's a type of formal engagement. And so it's uh, having a child. Uh, it's a form of adultery to have a child when one is committed in that way. And she's brought to the court. Who's the head of the court? None other than Judah. And he rules that she is liable capital punishment. And what is she to do? Does she blurt out, you're sentencing me when you wouldn't even give me your son in marriage? And furthermore, this wasn't forbidden because it was the mitzvah of Yibam. She doesn't do that. She privately sends the staff and the seal and says, the man who owns these is the man who impregnated me. Now, what does Judah do? Is he going to embarrass himself? And in fact, he goes out to the court and he says, she is more righteous than I am because she did not reveal this. And Judah did not do right in terms of uh, marrying her off to his third son. And so she's pregnant. She gives birth to twins. The first one comes out, his hand sticks out and they tie a red string around his hand. Now, well, you've probably seen the red strings uh, in Kabbalah or in Jewish folklore. There's a custom to put red string around the wrist to, uh, for good fortune, for blessings, to avoid the ayin hara. And uh, this is the only time it's actually found in the Torah. It was to mark who was the firstborn. As we know, the firstborn is important. So his hand pulled back in. And then it said the second one pushed past him. So if Jacob grabbed Esau's heel, this one just pushed ahead and was born first. And his name was Peretz, the one who bounds ahead. And later we're going to learn that he is the ancestor of King David, 
and of the Messiah, this idea that it'll burst forth. And the second one is born, and his name is Zerach. So that is the end of the story of Judah. And now we move on to this back to Joseph. So Joseph is sent down to Egypt, and he's bought by Potiphar, who is uh, the prince of the slaughterhouse or of the executioners and the prisons. It's not clear. Uh, he is an aristocrat in Egypt. And it says God was with Joseph. And he was Ish Matzliach. Now, how do we translate that? A man, one would say a lucky man, but we don't believe in luck. A man who had divine fortune looking over him. And we, his master even recognized that the blessing came because that God was with him and brought him good fortune. So he set Joseph as chief steward over his house. And, in, and even then, after that, he, he saw the blessings of God were on all that Joseph did and the house and the field. But things weren't going to go so well because Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph. It says later, Joseph was very beautiful, as was his mother, Rachel. And she tries to seduce him. And he says to her, my master has entrusted me with everything. In other words, he's put his trust in me. How could I do such a bad thing, sin to him and before God? Interestingly, once again, first putting the practical, humanistic, ethical uh, argument and then the divine argument. So it says each day she would try and he refused. Call, this is called sexual harassment. When no one was home, uh, mistake of him to be there and in Jewish law, one should not be alone. Uh, so she grabs him. She grabs his, his, his clothes, and Joseph is so intent on running out. It says he saw the face of his father, Jacob, in front of him, and he ran, left behind his jacket. He pulled his arms out of his jacket, ran out of the house. She screamed, had his clothes, and said, look, he was undressing, ready to jump me. And assault, he assaulted me. And so Joseph was thrown into jail into the pit, in back into the pit and in prison. But it says even in prison, God was with Joseph. And everything he did turned good. So the warden noticed this and he made him the head prisoner over all the other prisoners. And so when Pharaoh's butler and baker were thrown into prison for misperforming, a fly in the wine and a stone in the bread, Joseph is the one who is taking care of them. And one morning he sees that they're upset. And he was a sensitive person to others. He was charismatic. He, was, he, 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 he connected to people. He saw they're upset. He said, what's wrong? They said, oh, we've had this dream and we can't figure out what it means. He said, well, God is the one who knows what dreams mean. But let me help you. So he tells the baker, his dream means that in three days he will be freed. He'll be reinstated in Paro's court. And he says, and when you do, please do me a kindness and remind Paro of me. I've done nothing wrong. And the butler, unfortunately, sorry, the butler, he says that too. The baker, he says, in three days you'll be brought out and you'll be executed. And sure enough, that's what happened. But it says the butler did not remember Joseph, and he 
forgot him. So not only would he not uh, follow through, but it became a fait accompli. And next week we'll see how does Joseph get out of prison? How is this story going to unfold? And we'll see Joseph going from the pit of the prison to becoming the second most powerful man in the entire world, becoming Viceroy of Egypt. Have a good evening, everyone, and Shabbat Shalom.